Engaging Leader, Episode 151, Work Smarter, Not Harder, Productivity Hacks to Get More and Better Work Done in Less Time, featuring David Berkus. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. I'm excited that we're going to be having David Burkus back on the show today. We've had him on twice before. First, back in episode 61 to talk about his book, The Myths of Creativity, The Truth About How Innovative Leaders Generate Great Ideas. And then we had him back uh, more recently on Engaging Leader episode 134 to talk about his newer book, Under New Management, Upending Business as Usual. Now, David is currently organizing the upcoming Work Smarter Summit, an online video-based virtual conference where world-class experts share their proven tactics for getting more done, earning more money, and living a life of purpose and productivity. And based on interviews with those experts, David has compiled a free ebook called Work Smarter, Not Harder, which spotlights over 30 productivity hacks that will do everything from helping you squeeze one more hour out of your day to doing 10 times what you're doing now in half the time and energy. And in this interview today, we're going to be digging into several of those productivity hacks. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to take away Useful stuff to put into practice right off the bat. It's going to be great. Now, for our longtime listeners, you know who David Burkus is, but for newer listeners, he is a best-selling author. He's an award-winning podcaster and management professor teaching courses on organizational behavior, innovation, and strategic leadership. And he's an internationally renowned speaker. He's uh, delivered keynote speeches and workshops for lots of Fortune 500 companies like Microsoft and Google, as well as at in-demand conferences like South by Southwest and TEDx events. David Burkus, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Thank you so much for having me. It feels a little weird. This time we're getting together and talking and we're not near each other and uh, I'm not eating chicken and waffles. I think actually (laughs) the last time we hung out, you had like egg whites and toast though. You are the far healthier breakfast eater than I am. Well, not egg whites. It was an omelet. I I, I I had fat in there, but I didn't have, and I didn't even have any toast. more, more of a low carb kind of guy, but plenty of, uh, plenty of good stuff. Well, you should have had the chicken and waffles with me. It was, it was delicious. I remember it even a year later. Next time we'll have to have to hit that at the, the, the Dilly Diner in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. Totally. Totally. So David, you've got this ebook full of over 30 productivity hacks that you've compiled from all these experts. I'm curious, what's one that's inspired you to try out yourself? To me, probably the the biggest one I got, it's weird, um, was actually sort of an aside, right? So I was interviewing, um, and all of these came out of the interviews from the Work Smarter Summit, but I was I was interviewing um, Jeff Brown, who runs the Read to Lead podcast, another great podcast you should check out. Um, if, if you're listening and you like this one, you'll love that one. If you hate this one, you'll hate that one. So you should definitely check it out. Read, it's called Read to Lead? Read to Lead with Jeff Brown, yeah. And he was talking about, there's a lot of people that do these sort of Sunday afternoon weekly reviews and and that sort of a thing. 
And um, I've never really liked those because they just seem intensive. But he said, he's like, I've got these two sheets, two pieces of paper. One says looking back, one says looking ahead. Um, And they're how I sort of plan out the week. So he takes, I mean, he said it was literally like 20 minutes. And he just looks back and like, what were my wins that I can sort of celebrate? And now I'll look ahead. What are the priorities for the next week? And it's funny because you, once you do that, you, I then, at least what I've started doing, is you look at your calendar in week mode, right? So not in just Monday, but I look at the whole week's calendar in in um, in iCal, and I start to look at my appointments, and I start to realize, like, okay, some of these have nothing to do with what the big goal for this week is, and I really need to. I mean, I partly I feel bad because I uh, then end up sending emails to folks and trying to reschedule and try or trying to rearrange, but like a lot of times we just we. We think so far out now when we're booking calendar appointments with people. We think two to three weeks out and we just want to find it. And I'm sure it was important two to three weeks ago, but (laughs) in that week, it's sort of suddenly not important. And so just taking – it wasn't actually – it's weird because Jeff's is about sort of priorities and coming up with to-do lists. But when I started doing it, it became much more about thinking about my calendar and realizing that I was dedicating a lot of time to things that weren't a priority in every week. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't taken like, and I literally, I mean, I do it in bed on Sunday night while my kids are watching their iPhones, right? Or iPod touches or whatever they have. They call them phones. Um, I just flip my iPad to, to landscape mode, look at my calendar and go, oh, oh, this shouldn't be here. I need to, I need to solve that on Monday and send an email about that. And this, I, I really need to dedicate more time to this and that sort of thing. It's That's been probably the biggest helpful thing that came out of um, all of these interviews in the ebook on these sort of work hacks. And they're not all work hacks. Like that one's not really a hack. It's not really like a cool little app that you can just install. It's just a routine you do once a week. A lot of the hacks discussed in the ebook, Work Smarter, Not Harder, are, I would say are the same. I was surprised how many people were not just throwing out an app or something. They were these uh, disciplines or routines. Yeah, I mean, so so the ebook actually came out of filming um, all of these interviews for the Work Smarter Summit. So what I did is in the last, I asked a few questions of all guests at the very end, and this was one that in particular I was interested in just because I'm really trying to learn all this stuff. And I started actually asking, is there an app or a hack that helps you work smarter? And then as people started saying, well, no, but here's what I do. Right. And it's, and the routines run the gamut, right? Josh Spodek, um, the author of leadership step-by-step starts every morning with 10 burpees and says like, that's better than coffee, right? He just gets out of bed and does that's where you like jump up and then you come down on the ground and do a push up and jump back up. And he doesn't do them forever. He just does 10 and he's been doing it for like five years. And, and so it was weird. So I started actually in later interviews, I start uh, changing the question because I realized that for most people it's a routine. And you know what I really like about the routines is they're platform agnostic, right? Yeah. You hear someone talk about this amazing thing. Like for example, um, I'm a huge fan of the app Calendly, right? But uh, one thing I always hated about it is it forced me to use Google Calendar instead of iCloud, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would tell people to use Calendly and their resistance would be like, oh, but it doesn't sync with my iPhone and iCloud and blah, blah, blah. And so that's the problem with apps is that it takes time for them to get universal on every platform if they ever do. Routines, on the other hand, these are things anybody can really do. So um, I really liked a lot of those routine-based answers more than the app ones for that reason. Yeah. The, the, the one that jumped out at me that I decided I was going to put into practice right away is very similar to the one that you mentioned about uh, managing your, your, your time a little more proactively. And that was this one about deep work by Cal Newport. Uh, can, mm. you, can you tell us a little bit about Cal himself? Yeah, so Cal is Cal is a fascinating human being, um, and actually, one of the things we did just straight out of demand 
is, uh, I, I think Cal's talk is actually available now. We just kind of said like so many people are resonating with this thing about deep work. Let's just, even though we're saying, okay, it doesn't actually start till February 20th. <laughs> let's just, let's just release Cal's now because everybody wants to see it. So Cal's most recent book is it's called deep work. And it's about this idea that, um, in 2017, right in this knowledge work or creative work economy that we're sort of in checking email and hanging out on Facebook or hanging out in the Slack channel for your company and staying in constant communication doesn't actually generate as much value as it seems that like it, it, you seem like you're busy, but you're not actually creating things of value. Instead, as Cal would put it, deep work is the tier one skill. Deep work, the ability to sort of stay focused on a project for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes without interruptions and really actually carve out this time to, to make progress on it, to think about it, et cetera. That's what is quite valuable. And and Cal is really interesting. Cal has set up sort of his whole life to maximize the amount of deep work. So he's written, I think, five books, two of which have been uh, huge bestsellers. But he also got tenure at an early age at Georgetown in mathematics. He does a ton of work with mathematical papers and proofs. So he's well-respected in academia, well-respected in the business book literature. And it comes from his ability to sort of carve out this time for deep work. His The other hack, I don't remember if he talks about it in this book, uh, in the ebook or not. His other hack, though, which I thought was brilliant, is uh, he's deliberately bad at email. Um, <laughs> so, so, so he, I mean, because he talks about how he'll block, he'll go a few weeks out in his calendar and he'll block off time for deep work, et cetera, which is the first round of when emails come requesting appointment invites and all that sort of stuff. He can say, oh, it's already, it's already bad. But like, he also is deliberately bad at it. Case in point, he has, if you wanted to contact him uh, and you don't know his super secret email address, which even that he doesn't reply to very well, um, <laughs> his, his public facing email address is interesting at Cal Newport. And the promise that he makes is you send, if, if you have his, his, his website essentially says like, if you want, if you want to talk about speaking, here's my bureau. If you want to talk about my academic work, here's, you know, where I am at Georgetown. If you want to talk about, um, publicity, here's my publicist. If, if it doesn't fit into one of those categories and you still think I'd be interested in it, mm -hmm. send an email to interesting at calnewport.com. And if I agree and it is interesting, I'll write back. So automatically it. like in the premise is this idea that like, I will read every email. But I'm telling you that if I don't find it interesting, I, I, I won't, write won't write back, which I just think is, is brilliant because it protects I mean, He's a huge protector of his time um, so that he can do all of that, that deep work. Yeah. And in the, in the ebook, the part, the, the, the one little hack that he suggested in terms of deep work that I thought I'm going to start doing that is where he talks about looking at his calendar about four or five weeks in advance and claiming deep work time on his calendar. So for him, in his yeah. case, he blocks out two two full days. I think in a given month, maybe maybe two days out of a month, and uh, does, he doesn't apologize to anybody or explain what that is. It's just that he's, time that he's not available, because in the next two or three weeks, you're it's sort of already all, all built up, and you don't have any blocks. But right, as you said right. otherwise, you get to that week and you you don't have any time to work on the stuff that's really important. Exactly. You realize you've said yes to this meeting and that, and yes to this phone call. And suddenly there's, there's sort of none of that. And so I love that idea. I actually sort of started doing the, the inverse of it. So, uh, as I said earlier, the app that I use is Calendly, but there's a bunch of them schedule once and meet me dot. So, uh, or S O I actually don't yeah. know what the S O domain stands for, but anyway, I, uh, I use schedule once. I've, I've it's definitely go, yeah. saved so, a lot of time. 
Well, and the thing the thing that I do is uh, the <laughs> the trick, and nobody notices this, <laughs> is that the only availability is usually Tuesday uh, or and Thursday from one thirty to four thirty. Right. So, yeah. so it's kind of like if you want, if you, yes, I'll say yes to that phone call that yes to that meeting, et cetera. But you know, where Cal would say like, I'm protecting these days of deep work. I know that like worst case scenario, if I say yes to a bunch of things that have no relevance on my ability to be productive, it's still only about six hours out of a work week. So oh, I don't yeah. have that much of an excuse. And that was actually one I learned from um, Greg McEwen, who is in the summit in the ebook. This isn't actually his hack is I tried to get an interview on the podcast for him and he answered back, or I think his assistant answered back, great, this month, his interview day is this day. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, what? And he literally only does one, he has one day a month that's interviews, lines them all up, that's the only thing he does all that day, but the rest of the month, he's not doing publicity for for his book. But he's getting probably as much interviews in that one day as a lot of other authors get throughout an entire month. It's a brilliant strategy. So I don't think I'm in, I, you know, I'm not selling copies of essentialism by the truckload the way that Greg <laughs> is. Um, but my sort of version of it is great. I can totally do that. It just here, go to my calendar. And I'm the only one that knows that the only availability on my calendar is those hours, which by the way, Jesse, I should say we're recording this on a Friday at 8 a.m. So that should speak to your and I, our, our, our relationship and, and the idea that I'm willing to totally make an exception for you, right? I'm, and I'm vice versa. I, I, yeah, this is, I don't usually do interviews on uh, Friday mornings or, or, or hardly any phone calls at all on Friday. So you're lucky, man. And I am too to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> or we just like each other, or we've yeah. known each other for a while and, and we like chatting <laughs> with each other anyway. Is there a way to use Calendly or anything like that with like group meetings where you've got eight, five people that you're trying to get scheduled or is it really just a one for one-on-one appointments? You mean in terms of like uh, where you could send a, a calendar invite through Outlook or Google Calendar, et cetera, to folks for lots of different things? Um, well, no, no, like with Calendly, if I wanted to talk to, to get on your calendar for a phone call or a meeting, you'd say, sure, here, Pick a, pick a time that works for you and, and just uh, reserve it, and it'll show up on both of our calendars. But what about those situations where you've got, there's there's five people, they want to have a conference call, and and you just want, you, you send an email. And you want to figure out what time works for everybody? Yeah, and have it just, and have yeah, your availability so, automatically um, show up. There is, Calendly doesn't do that, but there is a service that does that. I use one called doodle.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've used D-O-O-D-L-E that. D-O-O-D-L-E.com, and it's essentially that. It's a polling thing, but just four times. And so you send it out to those five people. You say, hey, what works? Uh, and then when you arrive at the one that works best, then you actually send out the calendar app. I know it's a two-step process. I'd love yeah. it to be sort of all in one, um, but it works really, really well. Um, the other thing um, that I noticed from a friend of mine, Tim Grawl, that I think works really, really well is I um, I always get super confused on um, what my calendarly URL is. And with Schedule Once, it's I think it's even weirder and Meet Me So is even weirder. So I, I, know, I have a buddy that literally bought um, uh, meet with and then his first name.com and just redirects it so that the, he never actually has to think about, oh, I got to go copy and paste my calendarly URL, et cetera. It's, he just knows it's meet, it's meet with him.com, which I think is a brilliant little, it's $14 a year hack to always remember. <laughs> and the thing that I think is great about it is that I remember it too, right? So he's a friend of mine. We'll chat often via text, et cetera. And then we realize we need a deeper phone call. I literally just say, all right, I'll make an appointment on your thing uh-huh. because I can remember what it is because it's a simple URL. So that's, that's sort of like a calendarly, calendarly doodle upgrade, right? Love it. 
Well, here's so going back to your what you said was your sort of favorite hack out of the book, that or the one that inspired you and mine. When you, when we're when we're blocking out these times, or when you're when you're gonna send that when you see look at your week ahead and you realize, oh, I've said yes to things that aren't really in line aligned with my top priorities for the week. I'm I'm gonna bow out of some of those. Uh, how do you? I guess you got to get over this the, the the issue of disappointing people, don't you? Um, yeah, you kind of do. I uh, I think with uh, I've I've never canceled an appointment, right? What I'll what I'll usually do, and this I learned from actually from Jeff Woods's assistant. So I interviewed Jeff for the summit. His, I interviewed him too late to make it into the ebook, but I scheduled an interview with him. The morning of the interview, his assistant sends me an email and just says, "Hey." Um, Jeff's under a, a, a deadline. I just wanted to check in and make sure that this appointment is still going to happen. And I wanted to reiterate what the purpose of it was so that we can make sure it aligns with all of that. Right. Which essentially, I mean, it's, it, I felt weird on one end cause I'm on the receiving end of it and I'm thinking I have to re-justify why this meeting is here, but I think it also serves to sort of clarify it. And there's a lot of times where people sort of self select out. Does that make sense? Yeah. To where they can kind of see like, oh yeah, you know, you're right. I could see how that would be weird. Um, you know, the the biggest thing is just making sure um, that you are, like I said, like I put buffers and, and blocks on when we can do those appointments so that usually uh, even if I can't cancel them, they're sort of now much more streamlined. They're, oh, you know what? Yeah, but we could do it in 30. Like I don't, I, I know I, because here's the other thing is people will block an hour of your time or 30 minutes of your time because that's what the defaults on Google Calendar and, and, um, uh, outlook and all of those sort of things are. And when you can start the conversation of like, Hey, even, even if you're not trying to cancel it, just saying like, Hey, looking forward to our meeting on Thursday, I noticed that we booked an hour or I'm just trying to get my calendar straight. Are we going to need that much time? You can usually have people be like, no, I just, that's what I sent. We could probably do the whole thing in like, you know, 25 minutes. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to make the adjustment to a 30 minute appointment then, you know, that those little things can be, um, hugely beneficial. Even if you don't cancel them, you can kind of get them more focused again, to use Cal Newport's philosophy, like there, there are definitely times where meetings are really useful, but most of them don't create as much value as having deep work time. Yeah. Even, even those of us in leadership roles where you think my job is to lead people, therefore I need to interface with people. Therefore I'm going to have back-to-back meetings all day long, every day. Right. No, exactly. Or as, as, um, Jeff Pfeffer, uh, professor at Stanford, one of my, one of my intellectual heroes often says you can have power or you can have autonomy, but you can't have them both. In other words, when you step into a leadership role, your calendar now becomes claimable by all of those people that you lead. Um, and that can be our default thinking, right? And so putting some buffers on it, maybe it's, I just don't, I do meetings all week, but I don't do them on Friday or I don't do them on Monday or, or whatever it is. Um, just putting that buffer of a little bit of time to do that deep work, you end up serving your people better, uh, even though you're not claimed. You know, the the weirdest thing I think is people brag about their their open door policy, and yet their open door policy is probably, while it's important for rapport, et cetera, it's probably one of the biggest things that's preventing them from doing their deep work. I to to borrow cliches from the 1980s, rather than an open door policy, I sort of prefer that management by walking around approach because you have control over that one. You do it every day at 8 a.m. or you do it um, twice a day or, or whenever it is, but you're still controlling when you're going to check in on everybody. One of the things I, I guess that's associated with deep work, there was s- several people in the, several of these experts in the ebook that talk about 
a uh, what their their hacks were things like writing in my journal and meditating. And you normally wouldn't think of those as productivity ha- uh, hacks, but like Whitney Johnson, her that was her her big thing was was making time to write in the journal. Why is that a pro- it seems like that takes time. Why is that a productivity hack? You know, I struggle with this one a lot, right? The the sort of mindfulness um, trend that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if I I have a totally non scientific reasoning for it that I know is going to annoy the mindfulness junkies um, <laughs> out there. Um, but here's my thought: um, Do you have a front yard? Yes. Okay. Do you know where front yards came from? Uh, area you carved out of the backyard. Well, no, no, no. Like, so literally, <laughs> know, so there was a time where you had your property and the goal was kind of like, okay, we want to build a house. So we build it to the right on, property and most yeah. people are in cities, et cetera, where giant front lawns sort of happened is you picture like the Downton Abbey estates of England, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was this idea that people started flaunting how much land they had, how much money that they had, because they could just waste this whole property in the front to just show you how much land that they had. Um, in, instead of, you know, uh, building right up to the curb, which would be much more convenient for everyone, et cetera. I mean, it was a deliberate, like, uh, we're going to point out how much space we have to waste. So, so here's my, uh, here's my thought psychologically on what's happening with a lot of these mindfulness people. The idea that you can deliberately carve out 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day to, to think about nothing, right. To do that sort of, um, follow your breath meditation, et cetera. I'm, I'm sure there is psychological research that benefits it for sure. I think the other part is it has a calm effect. Like when, when you wake up first thing in the morning and you're checking your phone and you're on Facebook and you're already replying to emails and all of that sort of stuff, your, your like mental peace is gone for the whole day. Mm -hmm. So the idea that like, you know what, my life is not so busy that I can afford 10 to 15 minutes a day for this. I think it kind of reminds you a, that you're in control and B that you have more time than you think. So I secretly, I think that's the actual reason why mindfulness practices, journaling practices, et cetera, work is that it's like time deliberately wasted to prove to yourself that you're not as busy as you think. You just need to take control over your week. Interesting. Yeah. And I've never heard that expressed like that. I should say, I have no data to support that. It is entirely (laughs) my personal opinion. Um, And I am aware that there is great data on the health benefits of meditation and mindfulness, et cetera. I'm just talking about from a productivity standpoint, why I think it helps people deal with their week to week busyness. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the, the like the when we talked about the open door policy and that 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 leader who thinks he's doing everybody a favor by always being uh, available every moment. But uh, when you to com- compare yourself to going to talk to the leader who is a very distractible kind of person, and they're because they've been checking their emails since they rolled out of bed, and uh, the t- that time with them may not be very helpful. They're, they're, your, they're, they're your leader, but they're all over the place. Uh, and there's no strategic focus. There's not really any wisdom or good coaching that they're imparting versus that person that's, I, I guess, invested in whether it's meditation or journaling, getting their thoughts down on paper and kind of creating some of those buffers. When you talk to a leader like that, even if you only get them for five minutes out of a month, it's a it's a moment of that brings often brings great clarity and and helps uh, clear out obstacles and and, uh, make true priorities more clear. Yeah. I mean, I I think that makes a a lot of sense. I just, 
you know, everything, everything in moderation, right? I just worry about the sort of overload of it. Right. And that like, like Pfeffer says, you can have power or you can have autonomy. Um, and I think one of the first things we need to feel productive from day to day is that we actually do have control over our calendar. Yeah. That's a, that, that came through loud and clear throughout the ebook. Um, in fact, somebody said, uh, who was it? Somebody said that, um, Oh, Susan Fowler. She talks about how uh, it, it, it's, it, she has this need for autonomy, which I think we all do. And to, in order to feel fulfilled and effective, and, and, uh, she has to block out some discretionary time every single day, even if it's just 30 minutes. So she doesn't allow herself to have back-to-back meetings all day long because it totally sucks up her energy because she's got to have some autonomy some discretionary time where she can do whatever she feels like doing in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's, it's sort of, it speaks to my theory of the front lawn, right? Yeah. Um, this, this idea that, and, and Susan would know, Susan is one of the world's foremost researchers on, uh, self-determination theory. So, uh, Richard Reiner and Edward DC, um, Daniel Pink sort of summarized the findings of self-determination theory in his book drive. Susan is sort of the next generation of researchers in that, in that mm-hmm. line. And so she knows the power of feeling like you have control over your life and your schedule, the power of autonomy, uh, for individuals, not just just for, from a productivity standpoint, from a motivational standpoint too. So totally. Mm. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about some, some other productivity hacks, but can we talk a little bit about this, this, uh, this work smarter summit? We've been talking about all these experts, um, explain to us what, what's, what's going on with this summit and how does that relate to your book under new management? Yeah. So, um, to begin, it's sort of like, uh, I am, I'm not a total sort of productivity junkie. I am always trying to find ways to do what I do better and more effectively. Right. And one of the things you find in that is that everybody's got a different approach. Um, and I found the same thing in writing my book in, in under new management and looking at um, ideas of making the workplace better, not just your work week better. Um, everybody's got sort of a different approach. And so the only the the only proper strategy for finding what works for you is to talk to everybody. Just like we, you know, we've sort of been doing bouncing back and forth between these different hacks. Not every one of them works for everybody. So we put together a, a series of interviews. They're, they're video interviews, but um, there are ways that you can get audio and transcripts and all that sort of stuff too. And the idea is for one week, February 20th to the 25th, we're putting all of them online totally for free. And so the idea is you can watch all of them and get a sense or all of the ones that appeal to you and get a sense for, oh, I'm going to try this. This might work for me or that really resonates with something I already do, et cetera. So the only, to me, the only way to find what works for you is to really learn what works for a variety of different productivity experts, thought leaders, et cetera. Um, and then try a little bit of everything, keep what works, throw away what, what doesn't. Right. And this was sort of the same thing I found with, with my book under new management, which is more about the workplace than the work week. But it's again about this idea of what are the innovations? What are the things that we can do to make work a uh, better, more enjoyable, but also more productive and not everything's going to work with everybody. So the only proper approach is really to keep tabs on what everybody's doing. Try and experiment with a lot of different things and find what works for you, your company, your work week, whatever it is. You know, that idea of experimenting with ones to see what works for you, I think is important. I, I mean, I, if you a- ever ask me, what's your favorite productivity hack? F- my first response is always going to be whichever one I'm currently experimenting with. But I, I've, I mean, I'm always trying new routines or apps or disciplines. And uh, most of them 
most of them I end up setting aside or forgetting about or failing with. But it's a, a surprising number end up sticking and just becoming part of my work mode. And going back 10, 15 years, 20 years, I can think of things that once upon a time were just an experiment. And now they're actually a, a hack. I just don't think of them as a hack anymore, but they're part of what I do. Well, you know, so that's that's sort of the irony, right? Work hacks are these little things that you add on, but eventually they become the routine, uh, which is why I think so many people, even when surveyed, said, well, I don't have an app or a hack or anything, but I do do this routine. Um, I think that's that's kind of the difference is once it once it's proven and it becomes something you do all the time, You yeah, you don't think of it as this little life hacker thing. You think of it as like, well, this is what I always do because this is what works for me. So in planning this, this uh, Work Smart Summit, I mean, I can't imagine how much work has gone into that and, and to how well that syncs up with, with the book. You got the, you got you, the work, the work smarter summit is, is uh, happening in February. Um, and then you got the paperback version of under new management coming out just a couple months after that. Uh, how do you get so organized and think so far ahead <laughs> to plan all that? Well, I try and work smarter, not harder. Um, <laughs> No, I, so some of it is some of it is this long game. You know, I I'm fortunate. I, I'm an, I'm a writer who um, does all of that other stuff, right? That's a, the writing and and caring about the books and the messages at the core of what I sort of do. But I learned with my very first book that like it's not enough to just write fifty thousand words of an idea and send it out there into the world and go, hey, this will work. You know, you you have to choose and shape it based on its reaction. You have to kind of plan. Um, for what it all is. And, you know, it's funny, one of the biggest complaints you hear from people in the traditional working with a traditional publisher versus self-publishing, et cetera, is they'll often say like, oh, well, the traditional publishing world, it moves so slowly from the time you do a contract to when you see your book out there, it's going to be like two years. I started to realize that's actually an asset because like, well, you know this with companies, <laughs> like well-launched projects, well-launched companies, et cetera, take a long period of planning. The longer your runway, the higher that you can actually soar, right? I know that sounds cheesy and like <laughs> the kind of thing that should be on a square photo on Facebook, et cetera, but, but it's really actually sort of true. And so, you know, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. This idea for the the summit, we started working on it in uh, September of last year, mm-hmm. um, up until February of this year. Then we've got um, the, the we sort of transitioned into the book planning, and then there's all sorts of other stuff, man. I haven't even told you about that we're planning all the way through to. Um, my cycle right now is uh, it ends in about summer of 2018, uh, and then we'll see what I do um, after that. I'll pro- it probably involves a beach for a couple weeks um, <laughs> at that point. But but no, I mean I think it's I think it's basic um, basic life and sort of business lesson. The the longer your runway, the higher you can soar. The the more time and attention you you put to thinking about the long game and things that generate value in the long term, um, the better off you are. I, I wish I could. That, that's the one message I wish I could send to like you know corporate America or at least for to the Fortune 500 publicly traded companies. Right? Is it's clear that this quarterly to quarterly thing is not working? Uh, let's start thinking year to year or even longer because that's how you generate sustained value. Mm-hmm. So the so the Work Smarter Summit is free starting uh, February twentieth, but for a limited time, and then then you you got to pay to be able to access it. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's essentially the, the idea of the model is these talks are totally free. You can sign up now um, for, for your audience, especially worksmartersummit.com slash leader is the best place to sign up for it. You'll also get the ebook for free, all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, part part of it is costs, like the bandwidth hosting costs and all that sort of stuff are hard to keep up in perpetuity. But also, it's it's a trick of human motivation, right? So, so, so we know that if we just said, hey, here's 40 things, when you get around to them, you'll get around to them, right? No one's going to watch all of them. But if we say like, if we, if we say, here's the deadline you have to do it by, and then we're going to yank them away from you, you're more <laughs> likely to watch all of the ones that, I mean, it's funny that we're doing this, but it's the work smarter summit. We know a little bit about, you know, human behavior and, and how to hack it to get more, more productive. So that's sort of the fundamental reason for that quirk in the model is the idea that, um, if we put a deadline on it, you're more likely to actually watch it in that week. It's also a bit more of an event, right? So there's discussion um, boards mm. that happen under every video so people can be sharing what resonated with them, how they're going to apply it, all that sort of stuff. So it makes it more like a community thing. I mean, it literally is sort of a virtual conference, right? There's a talk and then the comments underneath on that page are kind of like the the uh, the hallways where snacks are served after that session, right? And you can talk about what resonated with you. And then after that time, there is what we call the all-access pass. And actually, if you wanted to, you can get the all-access pass now and start watching it. And that comes from the other hack of human uh, motivation, which is at that point, if you paid for it, then you're more likely to, to sort of watch it. So I know it seems like a weird business model, but it's based in this idea of how can we actually get as many people as possible, not just to sign up for this thing and then never watch it, but to actually apply these lessons. And the best way to do that is to make it an event and actually encourage people to sort of get invested in it or to, to get um, moving on it because it'll go away for a period of time. So they better jump in and start applying these things. So and it's a model. Like I said, it seems a little weird. The important thing is totally sign up for free. Uh, worksmartersummit.com slash leader will get you everything you need to start watching these talks on the 20th. And like I said, the Cal Newport one's actually available now. So there you go. Oh, that's cool. And there's, there's 40 of these, over 40 of these world-class experts. And so you can just pick and choose which ones sound the most applicable to your situation. Exactly. Before the summit starts, we actually will, you will send you an email with here's all of the talks you're going to watch in this week. So you can kind of plan it out. And then every morning we'll send you here are the ones that are live um, starting today and will be live for a set period of time. I think it's 72 hours. Um, so again, you can kind of plan it out. What I encourage people to do is sort of once you sign up is block off, you know, 45 minutes or so every day um, to watch the talks that resonate. They're all around 20 minutes. They're not super long things. They're much more, they're much less banter and much more practical things you can apply. Um, so, you know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour each day is enough to kind of get through the, all of the ones that really resonate with you. That way you're not missing out. Yeah, yeah that's a good, that's a good, good way to approach it. Now, David, if, if I were compiling a similar ebook or summit of productivity hacks from various experts. And I asked you to submit a hack. What what hack would you tell us about? Uh, without a doubt, the two-device strategy. So this actually came from my book from Under New Management. The opening chapter on Under Management talks about these companies that are putting limits on or banning email entirely. Um, and Cal Newport totally resonates with this, with this deep work idea, right? They're finding that even in the workplace, too much of it can actually be preventing you from doing deep work. A lot of the companies that I profiled, um, what they do is they don't ban it entirely, but they do put limits on it in the evenings and weekends so that you can actually spend time recharging. So I tried to practice what I preached and what I did was I, I have a two device strategy. So I have an iPhone and I have an iPad. 
the iPhone has all my work-related stuff on it, email, all the um, kind of author social media accounts, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then I have an iPad. All that has is like Netflix, Kindle, uh, my personal Facebook, uh, and a few other um, apps, Udemy, and those sort of like courseware stuff. But it's it's basically one is for work and one is for play. And so when I get home every day or if I'm working from home, when I go upstairs um, out of my office, I switch the two devices. I still have the sort of the connectivity that I kind of want to look random stuff up, to check in on with friends on Facebook, et cetera. But I'm not distracted by that email that suddenly popped into my box. So yeah, without a doubt, two device strategy or even just making that the email so easy to to check even if you know if you got all your alerts turned off just having it it's just right there i better just see if so and so got back to me because then i can take care of such and such exactly and you know that's where i started was like oh i'm going to turn off push notifications all that sort of stuff but even just leaving it in the little bottom part of your phone that never changes when you're in different screens that's still too tempting right so then i kind of moved to moving it over it was the very last screen so i had to kind of work to get to it right eventually it was kind of like this is ridiculous i'm still doing it let me just <laughs> let me just pay a couple hundred bucks and get a different device it's. Uh, I once heard someone say that uh, their co- their employer was going through a cost cutting strategy at, at some point, and asked, "Hey, will some people who have laptops be willing to switch back to a desktop because it will it'll save us money going forward?" And he said, "Yeah, because that forced him to keep his work at the office and not and quit bringing it home." Oh, totally brilliant. Yeah, no, I would do it. I would do it in a second. I think for as much as we love the idea of always being on and mobility and, and office spaces where it's sort of like there are no assigned desks, et cetera. The challenge that we have now is not even laptop. If you have a smartphone, you take your work home with you every single night. Uh, and it's not good for your family and friends, but it's also not good for your work because you're not getting any downtime. Yep. So the two device rule, that's a great hack. So you've told us about the worksmartersummit.com forward slash leader. Um, where else can people find about find out about what you what you're up to and um, get their hands on your book under new management? So the the best place for me long term would be davidberkus.com. Um, I mean, right now, obviously, worksmartersummit.com slash leader, but davidberkus.com, B-U-R-K-U-S, is kind of where everything else lives. So information about the books, my podcast, Radio Free Leader. Um, I think there's a couple different talks, like the Google Talk and the TEDx Talk are all on there. So there's a bunch of resources for free at that site, too. Um, so yeah, long term, that'd be that'd be the good place, too. Very cool. Well, David Berkus, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great to be back. All right, Engagers, we've been talking about David's ebook, Work Smarter, Not Harder, 30-plus productivity hacks to get more and better work done in less time. We'll provide a link so you can download that for free, as well as all the other links that David mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 151. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid-sized and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results, including talent management, workforce health engagement, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. We'll be right back.